This morning I would like for us to look at various scriptures. This isn't the normal kind of message I preach, but today I feel the leading of the Spirit to do that. I want to ask three questions that we need to think about. What was the purpose of the death? What was the purpose of the blood of Christ? And what were the results of that? You know, today we have multitudes of people. Yesterday I almost ran into some. I didn't know they were, I thought it was just a small group and there were more of them coming and I had to stop and wait. There was a large group of people in Delaware carrying a life-size cross up to the Catholic Church. And um, that was repeated other places. Some people crawl along the Via Della Rosa and they go through the stations of the cross and all manner of things and they say Easter is the whole reason for Christ's resurrection. Easter has nothing to do with the resurrection. That's a pagan holiday. But Passover does. And the guarantee of Christ's resurrection is our guarantee. So we simply want to ask, what was the purpose of the death of Christ and the shed blood of Jesus? We live in a day and time when people say, well, uh, Jesus died so that he might start the Christian religion. And Paul built it and refined it. That's not true. There are many people who say, well, Jesus really didn't die. He was in a swoon. He woke up and he was living in Egypt someplace when he died and blah, blah, blah. He, he headed a mushroom cult was the last thing that I saw. And then there are some who say he did die, but his disciples stole him and they hid him. And one day they'll come across his bones. Not likely. So we want to ask ourselves, what was the purpose of Christ's death. Today we're told by the Muslims that Allah, Allah is the same God of the Bible, but he's not. And we can go back to the pagan origins even before Muhammad. There is one God, and God says, I am one God, there is none beside me. And indeed he is. So with that thought in mind, we want to look at some of the aspects of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I need to know, it needs to be settled in our mind that he died, first of all, as a vicarious offering for sin. You see, this morning in many, many churches, Roman Catholic churches and some of the, the old whore's daughters, because that's what the Bible calls the beast, anyway, they come together and they say, the priest is offering up a sacrifice of Christ again. We listen to the Mass. And it's given for us. And so our sins are atoned for. Not true. Christ died once for all. We don't offer him again and again. But there are many people who will be doing that this morning and they'll feel good about it because they feel that Christ was re-offered and he's been raised and so on again. So let's look at what the scripture says. What's the purpose of the death and the shed blood? He died a vicarious offering for sin. What do we mean by that? Well, if you look back at the dictionary, you'll find that vicarious suffering is suffering in the place of another. Now you and I all know here for a long time We've been taught, some of us, since we were smaller, that the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the aspects of that is he took our place. We used to sing that song, um, I should have been crucified. I should have suffered and died. But Jesus, that is the one who is to come in the Old Testament, the one who is here in the New Testament. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's Son, took my place. Marvelous. Why is that? Because God says that sin has to be satisfied. He says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die in the Old Testament. And we know that by one man's sin, that is by Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin because of all of sin. But by the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
came what? Life to all of those who have, who do, who will believe. All the elect of God. So when we're talking about a suffering in the place of another, Jesus, the perfect, righteous one, deserved to live, but he died. There was no fault found in him. He was both man and God. And consequently, the, the scripture tells us in Hebrews, he was tempted in all points of the law like as we are. We have a high priest that's touched with our infirmities. Consequently, he knows us and he understands us and he's gone through something that you and I have not yet experienced. In, in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Did you hear that? He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him with his stripes were healed. What are we saying there in Isaiah in that ancient prophecy? We're saying that he was wounded for our transgressions. When he hung and died on the cross in that period of time, he died for all of the sins of his people. Every single one, past, present, and future. Well, then we can sin today because we're under grace. Of course not. God forbid, Paul says. We don't sin so grace may abound. We have a desire. Do we sin? Absolutely. We think things we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. We get out of fellowship. God sometimes chastises us. He does something to bring us back into the place. The Spirit guides us. I wish we could be perfect, but we're not. Not in this flesh. So he was wounded for that. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. I can't even begin to imagine what Christ must have felt as he hung on that cross, naked and ashamed, dying, the two malefactors on either side of him. But he died for you and I. In other words, he took our place. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath suffered for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? That he might bring us to God. He did that for you and I. He stood there for John Lennon. He stood there for Ralph Penson, for Jenny Smith, for all of you who are saved this morning. You see, many people wonder today, there are many teachings among the Adventists and others around us. They say, well, man and Jehovah's Witness and various others, they say man will be annihilated. In the end time, he'll either have a chance to become a Jehovah's Witness, don't count on it, or something else. At any rate, all of these religions or cults say in the end, he will be annihilated. That's what the Bible says. Why is that? Jesus was the only perfect Savior. He could sacrifice in that period of time, and it was acceptable to God because it was God dying. But man can't do that. No works of righteousness which we can do. So why do people continue in, in Hades, in hell, Gehenna eventually? Why? They can't pay the price. They could suffer for an eternity, and it's still not good enough to pay the price. See, sin always costs something. I used to preach when I was in the JRBC and I was more liberal before I came to the, a lot of the doctrines of God's word. I used to tell people that uh, if you'll accept Christ, that's it. He just does away with your sins. It's over. Well, that's partially true. Sin costs something. So God doesn't say just because you believed through the power of my spirit, there's no worry about sin. It's gone. It costs something. Jesus paid for it. You and I cannot. So with that thought in mind, I want to point out to you also that in Hebrews, let me turn to that and I'll read it to you. You'll find it in the ninth chapter. In Hebrews 9 and verse 12, we're told, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once. See that? I have a book, several books on Roman Catholicism by Catholics. 
And the priest says it's his privilege from time to time to offer up the sacrifice afresh and new to God. Not so. Jesus did it once. By his own blood, he entered in once into the holy of holies, the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. You see what it bought? Eternal redemption. What's the picture? The picture was, before this time, the people of God had ordinances. They had the moral and the ceremonial law. The moral law is still in effect. You say we're not under law? Well, you mean it's right to kill somebody these days? It's right to covet? It's right to lie, steal, and cheat? Of course not. But the ceremonial law has been done away with. In those days, the sin offering was brought. And as you confessed your sins, and the priest slew that animal and caught the blood. Once a year, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, a heavy veil in front of that. Only he was allowed there after he made atonement for his own sins. And when he came in, he took that blood for the atonement of the people, and there on the mercy seat, the ark between the, the uh, cherubim, he placed the blood. Jesus is a living mercy seat. Once and for all. The high priest had to do that every year. And sin offerings done every day. Jesus did that once and for all. He fulfilled all of the Old Testament. How beautiful it is. And how difficult it is. For his chosen people to see. In our day and time. Well as long as we're there. Let me back up to Hebrews 7. I want you to notice. In the 25th verse. And that isn't what I want either. Nor yet, I want to be in the same chapter, I'm sorry, nine. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world or the age hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. The just for the unjust. The holy for the wicked. The righteous for the sinful. Song says, I scarce can take it in. It's difficult to know why the Lord Jesus Christ would do that. He knows us, the Bible says. He knows us by name. We're sealed with his Holy Spirit. He loves us. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love, he told Jeremiah. And consequently today. And I've read to you many times out of the end of Romans 8, how nothing can separate us from the love of God. Height, depth, no. Death, angels, anything. <clears throat> nothing. Then I want to point out to you that Jesus knew what he was going to die and do in the place of lost sinners. See, today, none of us know when we go out in the morning what's going to take place. Uh, you may go out on the job. Many men have been hurt and killed on the job in Columbus and so on in the last couple of years. None of us know for sure. We just know that God will take care of us and he'll let nothing happen that's not supposed to. Jesus... Many people say, well, he was really afraid to die. No, he wasn't. And they go back to Gethsemane where he shed the, this perspiration, great drops of blood, and he said, Father, if it can be so, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And consequently, he went ahead. Was he joyous? He was, had mixed emotions. The human part of them dreaded that. But the Bible tells us in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, something that really ought to make us joyful. Listen to what it says. Wherefore, seeing we are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end, 
of our faith. Now notice, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. What's it saying? What's the joy before him? The day when we shall be together in the eternal ages. When all of the role will be called and we will be there and we will go into a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. What are we doing during that time? I'm convinced from my studies of the scripture that God has something for us to do. It won't be just flying around strumming uh, a harp. I'd be out of luck unless God gave me the ability. I can't do that. It won't be just laying on a cloud and it'll be serving him in the way that he has in the new dispensation that will last eternally. In the new heavens and new earth, old things passed away. And best of all, from all that, after the judgment seat of Christ for us who are Christians, the great white throne judgment for the lost people, God tells us he'll wipe away the remembrance of all former things and everything will be new. It's marvelous. That's the only way we could possibly. Will we recognize one another? Sure. But I can't get away from my subject or we'll get into too much time. Secondly, he died as a ransom for many. The Bible says clearly in Matthew 20 and 28, even so the Son of Man came, for what purpose? He came not to be ministered unto, but he came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Some of the many are here this morning. Where are the others? I don't know. It doesn't say elect across their forehead. They don't wear an armband. The back of their jacket doesn't say elect. I just know that you and I as a church and as individuals especially when I'm out doing the work I'm supposed to do, and that doesn't mean I'm supposed to do more than you are, and I'm teaching or preaching or witnessing to someone, we offer them the gospel. If they receive it, fine. If they don't, it's on their own head. So he died a ransom for many. Sin has man in its power, but Christ died to redeem men from that, to break that power of sin and to secure a person's release from the power of the law. That's why we're told that sin shall not have dominion over us in Romans. Does that mean we don't sin anymore? No, as I've told you, sometimes we sin. But what do we have? We have Christ the advocate, the interceder. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And consequently, God watches over us and keeps us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the just for the unjust. You know, that's difficult to understand for me sometimes. Can you do that? You know, if you have friends, Jesus said you can scarcely find a one who will die for someone else. But can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ and all the glory and all the blessing, all the, the surroundings of his eternal kingdom coming down as a man and dying for people who hated him, who were at enmity with him? You say, but not everybody. The Bible says that everybody is at enmity with him to one degree or another. Total depravity doesn't mean I do the worst things I could do. It simply means I'm capable of that. It simply means that I am restrained for whatever reason. We could take a perfectly, perfectly moral person today, one who doesn't trust Christ, and they're going down the road at 100 miles an hour, they're already doing something they shouldn't do, they're breaking the law. And they get down to that stop sign and they go through it. They're breaking the law. But most people won't do that. They'll drive 35 or 40 or whatever it is, and they'll stop for the sign. Why? Because they're afraid of the penalty of the law. And consequently, you and I have the penalty of the law, the spiritual law, dropped. Then thirdly, I want to point out to you that he died as a sin offering. Isaiah 53 and 10. Thou shalt make his soul an offering 
for sin. So I said, once each year the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. But Jesus did it once and for all. And it was acceptable of God. And henceforth, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. Did Allah shed his blood? Did the Vagita and all of the other, the Hindu Buddhism and all the other isms on the world, Christianity is the only one that's filled with prophecy as such, fulfilled like the Lord Jesus Christ was. It was prophesied that his beard would be torn out, it was. It was prophesied he'd be spit on, it was. He was beaten. He fulfilled the law perfectly, even to the place where they would not break his legs. Now, they didn't say, boy, we're, we're fulfilling the law. If they'd known that, they tried not to. But as they took him, before they took him down from the cross to break his legs, it was decided that they should use the spear thrust in his side to make sure he was dead. You see, Jesus says there's only one way. There's not a lot of ways. The people who belong here or there or whatever cult or church or Christian organization or not Christian organization who believe that all roads lead to God are mistaken. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So there's only one way. There's no pardon forgiveness outside the atoning blood of Jesus. Do you know for saying that this morning, there'd be some Baptists that would want to hang me because I would not ecumenical. There would be many other people who have joined in with promise keepers and other things, and they would say, well, you're just, you're a troublemaker. But this is what the Bible teaches. Doesn't make any difference. You're a troublemaker. The fourth thing I want to point out is that he died as a propitiation for our sins. The Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day. Man can never suffer long enough to pay that price. God has a holy wrath of sin. Can man pay it? Absolutely not. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Why? Because of his mercy, his goodness, and his love. That's why he saved us. According to what? The good pleasure of his will. First John 4 and verse 10. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now the word propitiate means to render favorable. If you look it up in the dictionary. We lost favor with God. Through sin, we're brought back to this favor through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's holiness causes us to have a hatred of sin, or it should, and a hatred which is manifested. So what does it mean? It means just as the priest went in and he applied the blood of the Holy of Holies once a year, Jesus did that once and for all. He's the living mercy seat for you and I. Bless God for that. Fifthly, I want to point out to you that he died to redeem us from the curse of the law. Let me ask you something. Have you always? Is there anyone here that's kept the law perfectly all their life? Is there anyone here who's offended in that law? I have. You don't have to raise your hands. Answer that question to yourself. Have you always obeyed every one of the Ten Commandments? Probably not. We have broken God's moral law in some way or another through the years. So the Bible says if you offend in one point, you offend in all. If we can't keep the law perfectly, it's no good to us. God says... That those who transgress, who break the law, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. You see what a dilemma that is. The Bible says we're guilty. All we like sheep have gone astray. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. And Jesus, in his matchless love, became a curse for us. You see, he was hung on the tree. He became a curse for you and I. His death by crucifixion redeemed us from the curse that we deserve. Sixthly, I want to point out to you that he died as our Passover sacrifice. 
He took our place. He paid the price. His blood serves as a ground on which God passes over us and spares us. On that particular night and in that year uh, of the Passover when Christ was crucified, 30 A.D., on that Tuesday night, because 6 o'clock to 6 o'clock, the beginning of the evening is the first part of the Jewish day. The Passover was eaten. Jesus Christ was the perfect Passover. And his blood, just as the original Passover many, many years ago in Egypt, they were to kill the sacrificial lamb, put it on the doorposts and the lentils, and they were to stay inside. They were to be eating that Passover feast with their clothes on, we would say today hat and coat, but in their garments, ready to travel because God was going to deliver them from Egypt. And that night the death angel came through and slew all of the firstborn, animals as well as human beings. A picture of Christ, the blood that saves. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, it says. So he is. Because when God sees the blood applied to you who are saved, to those of you who believe and trust Christ. You know, we have that song. Uh, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's exactly what God does. He doesn't look down and says, aha, here's these fellows here and these girls. I don't know. They're not doing too good. I think I'm going to have to punish them and I may have to let these go. That's what he says. When he looks down, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Here it is. God's given it to us. And so consequently, as far as our standing with God, it's the same. We're always accepted in the beloved. We're his children. He keeps us by that power. Our actual state may be somewhat different. God may need to chasten us. He may need to do things to, to curve us and change us and bring us back into the proper way as he sees fit. There's only one way for God to pass over us and save us. He must see the blood. Now, before our time runs completely away today, I want to point out the results of the atoning death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm only speaking of them in part, so they'll fit into this message this morning. But I want you to know that the result of that blood being shed, years and years ago, I don't, I just cannot remember that pastor and his wife's name. He's long out of the ministry now and off in other things. Goldie was his wife, and she used to sing, um, as the blood came dripping down from the cross to the ground, one drop was shed just for me. That's true. One of the results is this. A propitiation is provided for all those who believe. Jesus says, when you are, your heart is opened by his spirit, you see him and you receive him, he gives you his righteousness. He takes all the filth and all the degradation and all the sin that he died for, and they're gone. As you put them in a box, so later on he'll get them out and and uh, tell us about no. They're as far as the east is from the west. They're behind his back. They're at the bottom of the sea. How far is east from west? Nobody knows. Theoretically, they go on infinitely. You can't come together. Who knows? First John 2, 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. All ways do not lead to God, only through the Lord Jesus Christ. The second thing, the second result, of Christ shedding his blood, we attain resurrection from the dead through the atoning blood. Resurrection is the key point as far as Christianity is concerned. Paul says over in Corinthians, if Christ didn't rise, if there is no resurrection, Christ didn't rise, then all those who are dead in Christ are lost. And we don't have a resurrection. 
But bless God, we do have a resurrection. He purchased it. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. The curse of death came from Adam, causing us to suffer physical death. But the blessing of Christ to those that he redeems will live again unto eternal life. So we have that. Because he lives, we sing that song. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We live because he does. That's our guarantee. If there's no resurrection, I've had people say, well, these bodies are gone, some of them, a long time ago. That's true. People have been eaten up and burned with fire and the fish swallowed them and I don't know what else. How can God do that? By the same power he does everything else. His power is infinite. He can do anything. You remember Jesus when they were arguing with him and he said, I can raise up children from these stones or whatever. People thought, this guy is crazy. He can't say those things. He's turning Judaism upside down. We hate him. We're going to kill him when we get a chance. So they did. Permitted him to. Jesus said, no man takes my life. I lay it down of my own accord. Because he was fulfilling what God wanted him to do for you and I. Thirdly, the third result is that all believers have forgiveness of sins through his atoning death. Ephesians 1.7 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. God forgave them. What happens when we get, when we're tempted or we do something, gets, we get off the track, off the race, and, and we sin? We confess those sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us those sins. The Bible says in 1 John that that blood cleanses us. Present, continuing tense. It continues to cleanse us. It's that which he has given us. Then I want to point out to you also that all believers in him are justified. Romans 5, 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now justification is more than forgiveness. When it comes to forgiveness, the Lord Jesus Christ forgave us sin. He simply uh, put away our sins. But justification does more than that. When you're in a court of law and this particular person has been justified, exonerated of all these things, He's been made as if he never was held for that particular crime. I don't know about these days. Some days we got people I never could understand trying on the state, local, and federal level, and you're tried two or three times the same crime. I don't have time to get into that. But Jesus said, I not only take your sins away, but now you're justified before the Father. Now we don't stand there and say, I'm so glad to be here and just look at all these terrible things I've done. Those are gone. You and I have cleansing and justification. So it's that we did not sin. It's that Jesus took those sins and paid for them. And now they're gone. Then we want to point out to you that all believers can enter boldly into the presence of God because of his death. The blood that was shed, we can enter into his presence and cry out, Abba, Father. We can pour out our hearts to God. It can be anywhere. It can be in this church building. It can be as you drive along, wherever you're going. Pardon me, I do that sometimes. At home in my study or wherever it might be. There are times and situations where I get caught up in things and, and there's no time to go away and pray quietly. You can pray to the Lord right now, right on the job, wherever you are. And what caused that? His blood shed for us. All believers live with him forever. That's the final result of the shed blood of Christ. When he shall come, whether we're asleep or awake, we're going to be forever with him. It doesn't make any difference. That's purchased for us. That can't be taken away. When he shall come, the song says, with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found. I like that. Dressed in his righteousness alone. 
faultless to stand before the throne. Faultless because I did a good job and I chose Christ and I was a preacher? No. Faultless because Christ gave me his righteousness. He saved me. You and I have sinned and our sin would send us to hell. The blood of Christ, his only begotten son, furnishes the power that cleanses us from our sin and which turns us toward the heavenly home. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, the song says. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. As I close this morning, I ask you the question, what does the blood of Christ mean to you? Be sure your calling and election. To be sure, the Spirit of God must open our heart and mind, and we see that there's no other way. We receive Jesus Christ. We love him because he first loved us. But I ask you that question this morning. As the world celebrates Easter, every day is Resurrection Day for us. What does the blood of Christ mean to you? Father, we commit these thoughts into your hands this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your love and your mercy to us, not only in shedding your blood, but in caring for us and keeping us. And the scripture says, if you be for us, who indeed can be against us? That's almost more than we can take in. We pray that we may honor and glorify you <clears throat> through our lives, through our deeds, our words, that one day when we shall be with thee throughout eternity, we might serve thee according to thy will. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.